0: Oh, salut! Je suis heureux que vous soyez là. Je m'appelle Dirk Marshall et bienvenue sur VH New Podcast. La lou Garou adore pamplemousse. Il est manger une ce soir. Où est la banane la plus Où? Oh, wait a minute. Sorry about that. I've been watching too many French films from the 1800s. I'm just kidding. Those are silent and I can't start a podcast with silence. You wouldn't even know I started it. Uh, I'm Dirk Marshall. This is VHS. Uh, speaking of silence not making sense on a podcast, I bet a card trick wouldn't make sense on a podcast either. But what if I showed you one now anyway? Okay, so here is an ordinary deck of cards. I'll be me, you be my daughter when she was smaller. Okay, so you can see the queen is on top. And now I'll take the queen and place it in the bottom of the deck. And yet the queen is always on top so now i'll take the top card again i'll put it in the middle of the deck and yet the queen remains on top so i'll take the top card one more time drop it on the table set this deck on top and yet the queen is back on top are you amazed or does it lose something in the audio only format well i mean that and also i'm not a magician Um, But lucky for us, we found a very talented magician who was just nominated for Best Stage Magician by the Academy of Magical Arts, a nomination that is very well-deserved, and you'll hear us gush all about it on this episode. That's it, really. I I don't have a story about being a kid in my dad's video store and renting movies to a magician, although I could have. Uh, Those plainclothes magicians are very deceptive. Um, All right, (laughs) enough of me rambling. Let's just get right to this wonderful guest and this uh, fascinating movie. The film is The Vanishing Lady. Our guest is magician Arthur Trace, and this is VHS. Welcome to VHS, the podcast where each episode is about a film and the guest has the professional experience portrayed in the film. I'm your host, Dirk Marshall, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sarah Marshall.
1: Hey, Dirk!
0: And our guest is the artful deceiver, Mr. Arthur Trace. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And how are you today?
2: I'm good. I'm just working away, slaving away in the office and working on some new music for a new routine that has been, you know, on the back burner for many years. So That's awesome. (laughs) Finally up and Trying to get it up and running. Excellent. Sarah, how are you?
1: Um, well, <laughs> I've been better. I got into a car accident and I burned my hand very bad. So yeah. uh, I just woke up from nap.
0: <laughs> yeah. And those are two unrelated things. Too. Two
1: unrelated things, but I am recovering from both things. So I am doing my best to be my normal Joyful together, so... Very nice, yes.
0: You've turned it on for the show. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Excellent. Now, a little backstory. So, initially, Magic is a movie that I was thinking about when we were in Palm Springs before episode one. This is now the 12th season. It's a film that it just seemed like that's the one I wanted to talk about. I was stuck in it. It's got Magic in the title from 1978 starring Anthony Hopkins and Anne Margaret, but it just wasn't right. There was something in it that just... I don't know, it didn't feel maybe hopeful enough for me. So magician is a profession that has just been on the board for the past 12 seasons. And then Sarah and I were going to LA for our friend Ian Carmelo's wedding. And Sarah looked up things to do while in Los Angeles and she found a wonderful Korean, what was it? Is a,
1: tasting menu. Yeah, tasting Kin. menu
0: at Kin, which was amazing. And the other thing she found was a magic show. And so she asked me what I want to go. And it was at the, what is it? Black Rabbit?
1: How it was advertised was that it was in a speakeasy, so that already seemed very cool, but we had no idea that you were going to be there.
0: Yeah, (laughs) we had no idea. Sarah bought the VIP, so we were right up front, which I was very nervous about, but I was like, (laughs) well, we're here now, so let's see what happens, and we were easily blown away by your performance arthur Uh, thank you appreciate it the energy that you have on stage is just infectious
2: uh too kind
0: yeah your presence (laughs) your
2: showmanship
0: it's it's one thing to draw people in with like small gestures and things but you go pretty big and bold with like movements and um you really like put yourself out there and i think that's incredibly admirable
2: I've got an acting background and i've also also i just my act is very kinetic and there's a lot of musicality in it so yes. i really moved to the music i've always envisioned you know performance as your body being your whole instrument mm-hmm. so i try to frame the effect so to speak properly and also that has to do with everything from your head to your toes in terms of Uh, the stage presence and how you present something so yeah I it's it's interesting that you picked up on that
1: (laughs) that's definitely how I would describe your performance Mm -hmm. like if I was going to describe how you are to someone I would say that you involve your whole self and you have this joy you're kind of dancing and happy and so you can't watch you and not feel the same way I think I think you feel Mm -hmm. it in the audience around you because when you know when different people were performing throughout the evening you could feel different energy from the audience and I Mm. think that yours is always very fun but what I didn't think about at all is that you would have to come up with what the music is like and that that would be part of your act like i just sort of thought that somebody else would be doing it for whatever reason (laughs) you know because i'm used to more of like a stage performance or an acting type thing but it's interesting that you do all of that i didn't think about that before
2: sarah when you say i do all that are you talking about me controlling the music during the performance or actually the the score
1: just the score and thinking about how that would be and that that would be part of your show wherever you you go yeah
2: well a lot a lot of my pieces are uh, you know blocked and choreographed to music that i found and i like and the only reason i'm making this this distinction is because the currently I'm, i'm trying to produce my own music for my show that way i can monetize it and you know whether it's on youtube or other platforms but that being said i also control the music during my show so i have a remote cueing device that allows me to hit all these different music cues because during a performance especially if i'm doing like a 90-minute show in a performing arts center to go through that with a tech guy and all that it just takes too much time so luckily enough technology has advanced far enough where you know performers such as myself have, have this ability to control the music as well but yeah no i, I think in a performance music In my act specifically, there's three sort of slots that musicality falls into and how I use music. One is punctuation, Mm -hmm. another one is setting the mood, and another one is transition. Punctuation and setting the moods often overlap, and sometimes mood and transition overlap, but punctuation and transition never overlap. When I say punctuation, it's basically clarifying and highlighting the magic moments, and also progression of the act. And going back to what you guys picked up on, I think that kinetic nature of my act and that animated, joyful sort of energy that you picked up on has a lot to do with the music.
0: Then we also have to address the absence of music, because one of your, are we going to say bits or what are we calling a section of magic?
2: Yeah, they're like routines. They're almost like short stories, like o. Henry, with a twist at the end. Okay,
0: so one of your routines is the iPod card trick
2: yeah the I card a pocket that i perform there, I card.
0: yes and in that one you put headphones on and you're on stage i'm explaining for anyone who hasn't seen it yet but you can find this on youtube and at your website uh, arthurtrace.com and you're dancing to music that none of us can hear which i mean i i know comedians and i love when they put themselves in very sort of dangerous positions where it's like oh this is real this is a big move and doing these like comedic (laughs) dances to music people can't hear if you don't sell that it's not really going to come across and so you put yourself in a pocket so well that the second you did that I was like I like this person I like what they're doing this is very creative (laughs) and fun
1: and are you really listening to music no
2: I am. actually. Oh, what? I, I, I am actually. And If the follow up question is, what are you listening to? I'm taking that one to the grave. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that is what I was going to ask next.
2: <laughs> yeah. I've actually been asked, you know, on multiple occasions, what are you listening to? But I am actually listening to music because for me, it's a truthful moment in the show. It's also a vulnerable moment, yeah. kind of like you pointed out to where yeah, I take that risks, but that's also what makes it funny, is mm-hmm. because you don't expect that from this elegant sort of performer right. to kind of go and veer off so uh, drastically, you know, in- into it like a character that expresses himself by dancing on stage to music that the audience can't hear. But the choice there was that I thought, you know, I'm a fan of beautiful ideas, and to me that's a beautiful idea, uh, because there is so much musicality in my act you want to introduce that texture and variety in the, in the performance where it still plays into who you are on stage, but at the same time, it flips at 180 mm-hmm. and, in a way in the sense that, yeah, there's still music present, but the audience just can't hear it, which makes it really funny.
0: Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so clearly we're fans of yours, but I wanted to ask, who are you a fan of? Is there someone that you've seen recently? Well,
2: it's funny because the video or the short movie that you suggested for this mm. uh, this podcast uh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Jean Robert Houdin, uh, the father of modern magic. You know, I've got some of his books on my bookshelf right now. Not his per, per se, <laughs> but you know, books that people have written about him. And he's known as the father of modern magic. He was just an inventive magician. So I guess if we want to go way back yeah. to the mid-1800s, yeah, Robert Houdin, Hofsenzer was another 1800s magician, but he was more of a close-up magician, card magician. If Robert Houdin was the father of modern magic, Hofsenser was one of the original masters of card magic that invented a lot of the moves that magicians use with cards these days. And then as far as other magicians, uh, at the turn of the century, there was a magician by the name of Carl Germain. Mm. He was a fantastic magician. So these are all magicians that viewers and listeners probably are not familiar with. I mean, we've all heard of going back to, you know, obviously the great Harry Blackstone to David Copperfield to David Blaine and, you know, other magicians that are more prominent in this day and age. But... There's so many magicians out there in the past and even now, currently, that are doing just exceptional work. So, Carl Germain practiced magic for not his entire career because he later became a lawyer, but he was a very (laughs) inventive magician. So, yeah, he became a lawyer around 43 years of age, I believe. He quit magic. Interesting, which is the age I am now, 43. But anyway, so Carl Germain was a, a huge inspiration. I've read up about his inventions and such. Uh, Ricky Jay was a huge inspiration. Okay. You know, the uh, magician and actor in many of Mamet's films, David mm-hmm. Mamet's films. Uh, one of my mentor, not meant, well, yeah, I guess teachers in a, in a way was Eugene Berger, a famous close-up Chicago magician. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was very famous amongst magicians, but the lay audience wouldn't necessarily know who that was. And then I have a lot of creative inspiration outside of magic. So, you know, Maurice Sendak, the author and illustrator from Where the Wild Things Are, a lot of his books were about this escapism quality. And, you know, I think magic, when I come out on stage, that's really what I want to offer my audience, this escapism, you know, after they sat through however long my performances. I want them to kind of say at the very end of the show, like, where did that one hour, where did that 30 minutes or where that 90 minutes go? We completely forgot about all our troubles. Like, that's what all great art has the ability of doing
0: yeah that's awesome when we saw you it was 115 in LA so we definitely needed to escape
1: (laughs) it was so hot
2: where are you from
0: we're in Portland Oregon okay okay gotcha yeah it's gray 24 7 here so (laughs) that was a bit much I've lost a lot of times while we're talking about magicians watching Juan Tamariz am I saying that right yeah. Yeah. Juan Temer is holy smokes. I've watched so many card tricks from that gentleman and I understand absolutely nothing he's doing. It's fantastic. And I also if we did documentaries, I would have talked about the movie Delt, the Richard Turner story. Sure. That's an amazing documentary. But what happened was I reached out to Arthur and the conversation began on what movie to discuss. And then I found this film where I least expected, the 1800s. And with that, the stage <laughs> was set for a magical episode of VHS. But first, Sarah, what's your history with magic?
1: My history with magic? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that I have one, but I think my... Interest in watching your interest in magic yeah. came when you started learning some card tricks and things when our daughter was born and you wanted to show them to her. And so then we started watching a few things. I think as a as a kid, I remember hearing about magicians, but we didn't, you know.
0: Yeah, it wasn't like a warning like quicksand or something in the <laughs> oh. 80s. <laughs> you got to watch out for these magicians.
1: No.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I did. I taught myself some simple card moves so that i could show our daughter every night while we watch tv i would get the deck of cards out and just practice trying to make it flawless and i still struggle this is she's nine now um (laughs) with the with the pinky break i still struggle with like a double lift but i showed her the trick that i made up yesterday again because when i showed her when she was younger everything's magic when you're a kid so she was just like yeah (laughs) and i was like oh quarter through the do you remember quarter through the table yeah that worked really good on her when she she was little she was under the table it was like all the i mean (laughs) it was fantastic but anyway so i i did get into that for a while and i showed her the card trick yesterday and she was just like yeah well you didn't really move the card from the top to the bottom and i'm like yeah but that's the trick is that it keeps (laughs) popping up on the top i practiced all these
2: lifts and like nothing oh Card magic is a hard sell for, like, 12 and under. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like, well, at first no, yeah. he would try to show her, and she didn't even really know what she numbers didn't. were yet. Or so, You know, so she was just like, okay, Dad. Yeah. like, <laughs> You know, it's a card. Yeah, card magic is
2: one of those things that, a little bit older, yeah, but, you know, the younger children, they typically like visual, physical magic, stuff that they can understand.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I wish, you would, I wish I'd known you nine years ago. But um, <laughs> Arthur, what's your childhood introduction to magic? Is it something you came to later in life or was this always around?
2: I was eight years old. I think I was in the second grade, and a teacher assigned me a take home project, which was basically reading this little chapter in this do it yourself book. It was a really interesting lesson, but it was a simple version of the cups and balls. Oh, yes. Or you had to a, get a three Dixie cups, some cotton balls, and it would have three different phases where you would put each of the cotton balls on top of the middle cup, stack them, and then that cotton ball would penetrate that center cup. And you did this two two more times. And it was a simple phase. I did it for my peers and really got hooked because I, you know, suddenly this eight-year-old has this power to make people smile and be amazed. Yeah, and Who doesn't love that? You know, <laughs> from that point on, it was, it was to the races, so to speak. My mom would take me to the local library. I would get books on magic. Funny enough, I didn't get, you know, a lot of people get the, the magic kit under the Christmas tree, mm-hmm. or what have you, or a gift. And then they go to the magic shop, they buy more tricks. But for me, it was really just books, And that was really my introduction. I didn't visit a magic shop until I was a senior in high school, where I
1: was,
2: yeah, where I auditioned for the senior variety show. And when I got the variety show, I'm like, okay, I need some bigger stuff. So I started researching what can I do, and then I found a a local magic shop and bought the zombie ball and learned that (laughs) and performed it for the variety show. Okay, what's a zombie ball? (laughs) So a zombie ball is basically—I'm sure you've seen it. It's a floating silver sphere with a a foliard. And basically, the magician makes the ball float on top of the foliard behind it. Okay. You know, it does all these little maneuvers. And it's a relatively simple method that belies the method in terms of difficulty to actually carry off the illusion because it takes a lot of practice. But it's a simple method, but it does take a lot of practice to really make the illusion look as if the ball is floating Right. In and around the cloth. So yeah, that was a zombie ball.
0: Interesting. zombie yeah. ball.
2: There was a magic shop when I
0: lived in Seattle in the Pikes Place Market. And I went in there a couple times. It wasn't my scene, but what I loved was watching the kids go in there and the people behind the counter just do a trick for them. And just watching mm-hmm. kids' minds get blown. Mm-hmm. That was like my favorite so thing. Yeah, yeah. Because they're just like, they'd see him come in and be like, hey, kid, come here. And then just boom, blow their mind. And I was like, <laughs> I love this.
2: Yeah, well, the reaction is like part of the entertainment in and of itself. I mean, that's one of the things that David Blaine really capitalized on. And we can get more into this when we start talking about that, the brief movie, you know, because magic doesn't really work on screen right and so what david what david really capitalized on is the reaction and what you're talking about in that Mm -hmm. joyful reaction of watching other people react because there's an infectious quality to magic with the audience reaction and and seeing how they respond to something Mm
0: -hmm. yes and that film that you're alluding to that brings us together is escamotage d'une dame chez robert Houdin in 1896 it's a french short silent film directed by Georges millier It's also known as The Vanishing Lady, uh, the movie, not George. And at the time of this recording, you can find it on YouTube. Although there are colorized versions out there. This is the original 1896. It's black and white. It's around a minute and 17 seconds. And the synopsis for a one-minute movie is a magician performs a magic trick making a woman vanish. Mm Mm-hmm. I
1: think this is definitely the shortest movie you've had me watch for the show. <laughs> it's the oldest and shortest. Perfect. <laughs> yeah.
0: Georges Méliès is famous for his many innovations in motion pictures. He was one of the first to film fictional narratives. He's regarded as the inventor of special effects in movies. His films were among the first to use techniques such as double exposure, stop motion, and slow motion. Most people our age will remember the Smashing Pumpkins video, Tonight Tonight, which is based off Georges Millier's famous film, La Voyage dans la Lune, or The Voyage to the Moon, with the little moon with the mm-hmm. ro- rocket in its I remember. eye. You remember it. That was made five <laughs> years after this. So speaking of time, Arthur, you're in a creative field There's not an average nine to five. I imagine most performances are in the evening, and I know you have a significant other. So how do you manage time? How do you structure days?
2: I try. I, <laughs> that's <how> I'll start <laughs> with that. Uh, it's difficult, you know, because uh, after 22 years of doing this full time professionally, it doesn't get any easier. You think you kind of go into a set schedule. Man, sometimes I wish I had this boss just just oversaw things and said, hey, you do this at this particular time. But I basically, to answer your question, I wake up when my wife wakes up, so which is early in the morning, just because I try to get on her schedule. So we actually have some time in the evenings to spend together. And uh, I think that's very important for me and for her. And uh, during the day when she's out at the office, I'm usually, you know, each day of the week is uh, I typically structure a certain way, like Mondays or Tuesdays, I work on the business side of things in terms of bookings and the rest of the weekdays, I'm working on some sort of creative aspect of being a magician. That being said, one week is different from the other. So like last weekend, I was in New York City performing. So now I'm back home and I really wanna work on this new routine. So I've been working on this routine since 2014, but mind you. So it's I've been working on it a long time. <laughs> and now I'm getting into the final stages of actually producing the music for it. Uh, I've got the script written. I've got the props that I built for it. And now it's producing the music, finishing one other prop in it, and then getting it up on its feet in my rehearsal studio. The reason I'm doing it this week is because the following week I'm getting ready for a month long contract in Hawaii. Whoa. And yeah, so I'll be going to Hawaii in mid-May and I'm, I will be busy next week trying to get that show blocked out and how I want to present it. It's a, it'll be a 70 minute show uh, at the Fremont Kialani in Maui
0: that's awesome does your better half get to come along
2: well no she's got a real job like Ah. she's got a regular (laughs) job okay yeah so but we're very much independent in that way I mean our longest time apart other than the time when I was uh, living in Chicago that's when we met when I was performing at the Magic Castle and then had to go back to Chicago but the other time that we were separated was when I performed in Macau for four months oh wow Yeah, so, but we're very independent people and we don't have any children. I mean, we've got a fur baby, but that's about it. Perfect. (laughs) Okay. When you're
0: testing out a new trick, do you go to her or how do you, do you go to peers? What do you do when you
2: have something new? Yeah, she'll usually be the first one that sees it. And then I will slowly introduce it in, I would say, relatively low profile shows. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. Once I get it up to speed and I'm pretty confident with executing the various phases of it, I will then add it to higher profile shows and then record it, revamp it, fine tune it, so on and so forth until I feel very comfortable with it. Okay. That makes sense.
1: I would guess that a big part of how you practice your act and choose what you're going to do would be kind of dependent on your audience. Because I think that like where we saw you perform, it's kind of people are having birthday parties and i think there was a bachelorette party and so sometimes i bet in those situations people aren't paying attention but i think that you have (laughs) this really great way of pulling the room in to Mm. watch you but i'm wondering if that if you know what to expect when you're going into a show like what kind of show you're going to put on based on the audience that is coming
2: Not always. I will. So to answer that question, I don't always know what the experience is is going to offer because it it is a relationship. It's it's kind of like a tennis match going back and forth. You're playing off of the audience's vibe and they're playing off of your vibe. But Black Rabbit Rose is certainly very much that sort of venue that you mentioned where the attention may not be fully focused. Mm -hmm. So you do have to capture it and it's a little bit more challenging as opposed to a place like the Magic Castle in Hollywood Mm -hmm. where everybody dresses up to the nines because you have to. That's the dress code. But everybody's there to see high quality world-class magic. So you don't have to win them over. Mm -hmm. That's like the easiest place in the world to perform. I bet. And then there's more difficult venues where... The other month, I'm not going to mention the theater, but it's a regular ongoing sort of magic venue in the LA area. And the theater maybe had, it seats 130 people, but there were maybe 35 people in the audience. And that's really difficult because when people are spread out in the theater, the energy is not so centralized and you really have to corral everybody in on the same page. Uh, And sometimes it just doesn't happen no matter how much energy you have. With an act like mine, you know even though there's a lot of humor in it i've never considered myself a comedy magician you know my act is very much kind of a conceptual humorous type of act mm-hmm. but it's also very much a high caliber magic act where a lot of the things that i'm doing are very technical and you really have to sometimes love magic to go on that journey with me uh, and if somebody is not willing to play no matter what i do sometimes it just fails and that's okay because i've taken that risk i know who i am but you know just like every performer is not meant to play in every venue i could say for me you know for years i've tried to be successful in various markets whether it's naca which is the national association of campus activities for the college market Mm -hmm. or for that market you have to be a certain type of performer which i'm not i'm kind of more of like the well i'm the artful deceiver my act is very artful so Mm -hmm. In a performing arts setting like a theater. Yeah, it works. But at a college where people are just wanting to laugh and act like mine butts heads up with that audience. So it is that back and forth and you just have to be aware of that. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I kind of, when, Dirk, you asked me earlier about like my, my relationship to magic, I think I like pride myself on being a good audience member. Because yeah, no matter what kind of show I go to, if it's to see a magician, to see a comedy act, a drag show, a, you know, anything.
0: Twin Peaks-themed burlesque Twi- oh, show we yes. just saw. Uh...
1: I am ready to be your captive audience, yeah. you know? And I want to take that journey with you because I always feel like... If you have taken the time to perfect this act and you are willing and brave enough to be up there in front of people, I am in it with you. Sometimes even if I see something going wrong you know like the audience isn't paying attention or there's hecklers then I am the first one to just like lock eye contact (laughs) with the person on stage and I'm like I can be your solo viewer here and if you want me to laugh I will laugh if you are doing something that I am supposed to cry I will definitely cry you know I am like there for it you know, that just makes it a very emotional journey. You feel very connected to people. And I think we've seen that happen at like comedy shows where there's hecklers Mm -hmm. or something like that. So do you have to deal with that a lot, Arthur? Do you have to deal with people not paying attention?
2: (laughs) Well, I, I, you know, just commenting on what you're saying, you know, I don't really know you that well. Obviously, this is my first interaction with you. (laughs) But I consider that a quality trait of a very sensitive person. There's a lot of empathy there. A lot of people don't really care. They yeah. don't, They just want to, it. it's what's in it for them. And, and that's okay too, You know, because we're all different. And, and in a way, sometimes I enjoy the challenge because I have to fight harder for it. And so that sometimes makes me more invested. But when I have to fight very hard for it and I don't, succeed that can be really depressing for a performer as well so you know it's really an emotional roller coaster because you've been inv- like you said the performer has invested a lot of time mm-hmm. emotion effort and if that's not reciprocated you know it's just for the lack of a better word it's just a bad show Yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> is, for the performer that is
1: which is tough because everybody else goes home but you go home with that weight
2: yeah, you're only as good as your last show. Yeah. So you definitely go home with that, with that, oh man, I really, I just didn't connect.
1: Yeah. Well,
2: and
0: Sarah, you've been at events where it was definitely not your scene.
1: Oh yeah. And I mean, I think it makes you question everything. And you feel you're like, like you're wasting
0: like, your time and you did all this what stuff. What am I doing with my just, life? And know. so then
1: that's why when I see that happen for people that are performing, I'm like, nope, I am here for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you're just doing this show for me, we are in this together.
2: there need to be more people like you at my
0: shows (laughs) so let's press play on the vanishing woman first george enters the stage and he's playing a magician we don't know anything about this character and their backstory but i wanted to touch on Arthur when you first started performing where did you start and what was that like for you to go from performing tricks to
2: doing it on stage Hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, <laughs> had I known how bad I was, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have gone this far. Uh, because looking back at the, my whole, you know, performing experience and career, I wasn't very good. Nor many. I mean, that could be said for anybody when they're first starting out, obviously. And uh, you kind of have blinders on because of that ignorance, but. I was always into magic as a child, but I didn't really start performing and entertaining people until college, until after high school, where. I started taking it a little bit more seriously. Uh, and at school, I was able to rent rent out venues for free. I formed my own organization at the University of Illinois called the Midwest Masters of Magic. And that was kind of my little organization where that allowed me to say, oh, I want to I want to reserve Gregory Hall, this mm-hmm. one theater on campus and produce my own show and invite some magicians to perform in. That was my place to be bad. That was my place to suck. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> yeah. And that was kind of the initial learning stages of how to entertain an audience and how to put a show together. When I got out of college, I started doing open mic nights in Chicago. Back then open mic nights were all the rage. Did a bunch of those. I started performing close-up magic week- on a weekly basis at a few restaurants around the Northwest suburbs and just honing my skills. And then magic competitions, which are an actual thing. You sure. I decided to put together this uh, manipulation act, which manipulation is a type of magic that involves sleight of hand on stage. And over the years, I developed that act with the mentorship of Eugene Berger, which I mentioned previously. Uh, And then in 2005, I won the gold medal from the International Brotherhood of Magicians in Reno. And then that kind of propelled me for the following year to go and uh, compete at the World Championships of Magic. And I got third in my category at that. And so from that point on, that was a huge career highlight. I was on the cover of magazines. It also took me all around the world at magician conferences and also doing cabaret shows at the Winter Garden or the Winter Garden in Berlin, as they say. (laughs) Performing in Munich, performing at the Princess Grace Theater in Monaco for Prince Albert, performing at the Tenyo Magic Hands Festival in Tokyo. Really all around the world, these wonderful contracts. And looking back at it, I could say it wasn't so much about the magic, but the opportunity that magic afforded me to go and visit all these beautiful places and learn about all these different cultures and have these memories that I could recall now. That was kind of the initial arc. And then for the last, I would say 10, 15 years, I've just been really honing my show and developing new material. And so I'm not just this act, but I can actually carry a whole show. And when you saw me at Black Rabbit Rose, those were very, very, routines kind of interjected in, uh, th- throughout the overall program that evening yeah which is really not my style of performing <laughs> sure and that you know that audience that hollywood sort of kind of audience isn't really my scene my scene like i said is really going out and performing at a theater or even at the magic house somewhere yeah. where you can actually see a longer performance of mine so
0: yeah i think that's where Being in the VIP section, the first row really helped us because like Sarah said, we're like, we're there for the performer. We're not there with the bachelorette party in the back that's hooting and hollering and being like, make a joke about Stephanie. Like it's not, (laughs) that's not our scene. Even when we were in that area of LA, we were like, this is not this is
1: not <laughs> we had only been to LA each one time yeah, and yeah. we were there for, you know for a wedding and I was like well are we let's just I'll just find something fun for us to do and I always say to Dirk like I want to do this thing and you can either come with me or not it's totally up to you and before I buy a ticket I say should I buy one ticket or two tickets so I had found this and I and I was thinking Dirk would like it because I, I knew there was magic involved but I didn't really know what else we I didn't understand exactly what we were getting ourselves into but and the only reason I bought VIP tickets was because I thought it meant we we would have a place to sit and maybe right. otherwise we would stand. But then I didn't realize that meant we were going to be sitting like one foot away from you. Like we were, <laughs> we were like it's very front close. and center. Yeah, at the bottom of the stage. And sometimes that kind of stuff makes Dirk really uncomfortable. So as soon as we sat down, I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> like, yeah. Order the drinks. Like, yeah. I'm into it. I don't know how jerk is, but he was so happy. Was so happy. He was just smiling at everything you were doing. Yeah. He was like so stoked. And then I do have to apologize, Arthur, because I did lie to you on accident. That's right.
2: <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah, I did. On what?
1: Because you asked me a question about what my favorite drink was, but you just called it out real quick, and I didn't know you were going to talk to me. And so <laughs> I, I yelled out. Vodka soda,
0: which has never which
1: been is, your dream. I've never even had one. I it just like came out of my mouth. <laughs>
2: was it a question I asked? Or was it a question I was one of the other performers. No, asked? it was
1: a question you asked because you were coming together. Part of this trick was that you were doing a story that was going to end up inside of this balloon that you had already put in there, and then somebody else reads it. But all the things that the audience members yell out are. I think in, that was a
2: different performer. In
1: that. That was
2: that was Fitzgerald. That's Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Yeah, that was Fitzgerald.
1: Oh, was it? It wasn't you. No. Yeah there? Yeah. good. We, bo- we
0: both wear <laughs> big glasses, but <laughs> yeah, it was a lot to take in that evening. There was a lot of things. Yeah, like Sarah said, I was I was beaming the entire time you we were performing. And since then, since because a lot of your clips are online, I was able to show people and then watch their expression when certain twists and things happen. And it works every time.
1: Yeah, well, I'm so glad that I was remembering it wrong because yeah. it was a whirlwind of an evening. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, there was certainly a lot of magic. So.
1: Yes.
0: Next in the film, Jehane DeLacy, I think I'm saying her name right, Enters to the stage, she's led across the middle to show that there's not a trapdoor, and then a newspaper is laid down on the ground and a chair placed over it. Now, the movie's based on a trick that was performed at the theater, and when performed in the theater, the newspaper was rubber, and there was a trapdoor that this very same performer would drop through so the magician could perform the vanish. So, George covers Shahane <laughs> with a sheet, and she's gone. And while she's gone, we'll also be gone, so we'll take a quick break. Now I have a question for you. What would Vice Squad be without Wings Hauser? Or House 3 without Brian James? Would you watch Panther Squad without Sybil Danning? No. It would be boring. That's how we feel about food and Marshall's Hot Sauce. Wake up your meals with these small batch sauces created and bottled by a chef. These aren't made in a co-packing plant, they're thoughtfully sourced balanced creations with a focus on quality and flavor. The red chili lime? Sweet and a little spicy, like Gage in Pet Cemetery or habanero carrot curry, which is more spicy and ethereal, like erotic ghost story. Marshall's Hot Sauce has something for everyone, including the mildest, which is a smoked habanero barbecue. Kind of sweet, kind of smoky. It would be right at home on the range with Klaus Kinski and the Great Silence. You know what I'm saying. There's also a new line of seasonings with real ingredients dehydrated and combined into fantastic and easy ways to cook for yourself or your family. From the new herb pasta and marinara packets, right on down to the explosive volcano sparkle, which I'm sure Zed and Police Academy 3, you know, the part where he hangs out in the tear gas training. What a cut up. I'm sure he'd, he'd want some sparkle. You'll find it all at marshalshotsauce.com. Enter podcast at checkout for 20% off. Plus, you might get a little something from me. So head on over, wake up your meals, not to mention Sarah's now teaching classes again so you can learn hot sauces, pickling, all kinds of stuff. I'm hosting hot sauce tastings where you can hang out for an hour and just eat spicy stuff. But You'll find it all there, marshallsoatsauce.com. And now, back to the show. And we're back. And now there's no trapdoor used in the film, and instead we get the first substitution splice. This is the first example of George using this technique, which had previously only been used once in a film for a special effect in the movie called The Execution of Mary, Queen of Scots. This was one year prior to this by Alfred Clark. So we know there's magic at play here, but it's the magic of cinema. You know, the cat's out of the bag. And speaking of bags, you were on Penn & Teller Fool Us doing the... Milius egg bag?
2: Yeah, it's the egg bag. Max Malini popularized that version of the egg bag. And I was basically on that show doing my version of the egg, of that classic trick, which were where I stop time. And, yes,
0: yeah. yeah. I love the stop time thing. I love, like, was it nerve-wracking for you performing for Penn & Teller? Or have you met them before? Or
2: teller is a friend oh, great. not a close friend but certainly a friend of mine we've we've met on various occasions in the past but yeah it was nerve-wracking because they really don't know who's going to be on the show oh, So wow. when you walk out on stage this is the first time they see you the producers are very secretive of who's going to be appearing but yeah it's always nerve-wracking especially national television because you only have one shot because to do it a second time and re-record it, Nah, you're not going to get that same reaction. Right. Now the producers wanted me to do that particular trick because they found my version of it humorous and so it had a, if I had my choice I would have done a different routine which <laughs> would have a potential of, you know, maybe fooling them because it, had, it has my unique method. yeah But the yeah the producers wanted me to do that version. Okay.
1: That's interesting yeah. that you don't get to pick what you're going to do, but producers. I guess producers that makes sense. They yeah. want to run the show. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, you know,
2: I, I submitted a few things, and that's the one they picked, mm-hmm, so. Yeah. At the end of the day, I, I'm fine with it, because that show really highlights, I think, that fooling an audience isn't the only thing mm-hmm. in magic. Because a lot of the acts that fool them aren't very great acts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have very good routine, so to speak. There's other elements in magic that, you know, yes, foundationally, a trick should be deceptive. No question about it. And the egg bag is very deceptive. It's just not very deceptive to a pair of veteran magicians. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I was happy with it because I was happy with how that segment turned out. And I was able to use it in my own promotional footage later on.
0: Yeah, it's a great showcase for you because it has the entertaining quality, it's the time-stopping and it has, of course, the, the illusion or the, the tricks, the fun reveals, which are things that I think you excel at. In the film, the substitution splice is an edit. It's a, as a magician, you have to edit, but the way you edit is by pulling focus from one thing to another. You have to lead our eyes somewhere else so we're not looking at what would be the edit or the trick. You're really good at it. The record gets me every time because I'm (laughs) thinking about the light bulb. You know what you're doing. You know what I'm thinking about because I'm the audience. Mm -hmm. And then when the record is there again, I just grin ear to ear. I'm like, every time. (laughs) I know the video that I'm watching isn't going to change, but it still gets me. It's such a Mm. good thing. It's got to be satisfying for you to be like and this and just watch our faces be like what
2: yeah it's no it's it is very satisfying but on that note you know mentioning the video aspect of things because you saw it both you saw it live yes and then you you probably rewatched it because it's on my website yes multiple times but that being said in live misdirection works on video it doesn't really work that well right yeah you've got a two-dimensional plane Mm -hmm. when something is a representation of how it's supposed to look live the misdirection doesn't work quite as well Mm -hmm. and also it's it's a spatial thing where you have this small you know, screen in front of you as opposed to, you know, a stage with a magician on it. There's a lot more th- for me to play with in a live situation than, you know, in, in the medium of television or a video on, on your computer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: No, I, I totally get that. But
0: it still works. My I showed <laughs> I showed my parents last weekend and they were like, I can't believe you're going to get to talk to this guy. And I was like, I know. <laughs> and I saw him do this live. And when the record appears in what's that piece called? the uh, That's my routine. I call when the lights go out. OK, when the mm-hmm. lights go out, when the record reappears, people should go watch that whole you can find it. 20-minute show of yours online but
2: that's actually at the magic castle by the way oh, that great. show cool. yeah, yeah
0: we wanted to go there we just couldn't work it into this trip it's one of those places i've always heard about and i'm like oh we gotta go because like you said those people are there for the magic
2: and... yeah well next time you're in la uh, shoot me a message i'll get you guys in ah great perfect <laughs> yeah
0: Next, George presents the chair, slams it down on the stage to show that it's solid, waves his hands around to show that there's no wires, I'm guessing. Is there, is there a name for this type of dispelling of techniques of how illusion's going to be performed, or...?
2: Every magician has their own steps to take. I've, you know, Juan Tamaras. He wrote a wonderful book called "The Magic Rainbow," and he's really a master at that. He talks about leading them down, false solutions, and such, mm-hmm. which is George's essentially he's mimicking of doing in the, in the video in the yeah. film. For me, I. I, my definition of magic is the communication of the impossible. So communication is very much a big proponent of how I structure a routine. So I try to camouflage the deceit, mm-hmm. which is what George, uh, would be doing in this okay. uh, with, the, with, with, with a newspaper underneath the chair and so on and so forth. So camouflage, deceit, highlight the fairness, stretch the truth and get out of the way of the magic. He's not successful at all. Those, by yeah, the way. Yeah. He's
0: also not but, a magician.
2: So. Well, yeah. Funny enough, he originally was a magician. Oh, what? And, yeah, george millier was originally a magician, who then became the landlord of the Robert Houdin theater. Yeah, I knew about that. Uh, in layman's terms, Robert Houdin's show used to be called surrey's Fantastique." Robert Houdin, and then his protege in 1852 took took on that role of performing magic shows in that space and then i believe in the in the 1880s thereabouts when george when his father retired he sold the shoe manufacturing business and so he split up that money amongst his three sons and george took his cut and bought the theater okay and presented programs where he would highlight a grand illusion at the end of each program. And he was a magician, but it wasn't until the projector where he kind of modified that and then started presenting these films Mm -hmm. in that space. That being said, this particular film, I believe was filmed outside in the garden and not indoors because the amount of light that they needed for it, you know, you couldn't really get that inside the theater. I'm sorry. What was the question? I think you asked me a question and I went off on this tension. No, 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 no. I
0: just, I didn't know that he was a magician.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a magician that then, you know, kind of transitioned into this film director slash producer.
0: Next, George waves his hand over the chair and a skeleton appears in the chair. Is this called production? Am I using the right term?
2: Yeah, yeah. It would be uh, the appearance of an object, in this case of a skeleton.
0: Okay. (laughs) And then he plays it for comedic effect for a split second, where he's like, oh no, this isn't what Mm -hmm. I wanted to have happen. Which you're also really great in your act when you're, like you said, you're not comedic, but you have these little moments of brevity, if you will. One of the things I wanted to mention when I was talking about dispelling of technique is when you're doing the the modern art piece and Mm -hmm. you're taking... Dots of off of paper and making them an actual ball. Would the dispelling of technique be the bouncing of the ball? The showing that it's like
2: that would be more of a clarification moment Got right? it. because when I'm on stage and you're far away from the stage, if I turn a 2D object in this case a circle into a ball, yeah. it's not abundantly or immediately clear that it's a, a three dimensional object. So I have to bounce it to communicate. It. Oh, it's just tra- it's transformed. And so, yeah, th- that particular act is my world championship act, by the way, that uh, the Magic Castle or the Academy of Magical Arts sponsored me to compete with at, at FISM, which is the World Championships of Magic that I placed at in Stockholm when they had the Olympics of Magic there.
0: Yeah, we didn't get to see that one live, but it is really brilliant.
1: Yeah, we've watched it. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And there's
0: just so many things you do in that one piece. I mean, just the, I don't know how you don't have like carpal tunnel from all the ball movement i don't this yeah, is, this yeah sounds bad every way i say it but yeah it's really and then the changing the color from the ball from being white to
2: blue it's just like I thank mean, you that yeah that, well the stage at black rabbit rose is way too tiny for oh, me yeah. to perform that act <laughs> okay. for one and also that act i usually don't perform unless i'm doing like a lot much longer show because it's almost a nine minute act yeah. which is just choreograph the music and when, in my show i like to connect with an audience by you know talking with them first right. Yeah.
1: It's so cool to hear you talk about all of the places and opportunities that magic yeah. has brought you. You know, we talk to a lot of different people who have a lot of different jobs and you have really been able to do so many rad things and, win, and be part of so many like competitions and win so many and start your own theater. Like everything that you talk about is not what I expected. I yeah. figured your career is like an acting career where it's tough and you you know are out Lonely. hitting the streets every night and you know but you have really done all this rad stuff oh yeah well
2: I mean th- thank you I mean for me I've been pretty fortunate in having these cool experiences I mean even even this past weekend I was in Greenwich Village in New York performing and uh, I mentioned I'm a big fan of Marie Sendak well his first apartment where he wrote where <laughs> and, and illustrated where the wild things are are, was a mile and a half from my hotel, awesome. and just that area alone, the city just comes to life. So that's really what I remember about these these various experiences. You don't, you do remember the gig, mm-hmm. but you know you've performed the act so many times. Yeah, it has to be fresh on stage, and that's all good and wonderful but it's the time spent in these various different places the people that you meet that is really you know becomes a part of your memory bank it's like oh that's another cool thing that i did but that being said this life is a struggle you know after doing this for full-time 22 years i still live paycheck to paycheck i still worry about where that next gig is going to come through Mm -hmm. and it never becomes easy just the other night i was talking to with my wife you know i don't know if i can do this much longer in terms of uh, of the struggle of the, of the stress, because when you are, I don't know about the both of you, cause I don't know your backstory, but for me, this is the only thing that I do for money. And so yeah, it's just stressful. There's some really stressful, sleepless nights where you just, you just want to go crazy. Yeah, because you don't know where that next paycheck's coming through. It's not like I've spent all the money I made. There's, it's not, it's not about that. But unlike a regular job where you have that security, you know, you just don't know. Yeah, well, I mean,
0: we both did social work for 10 years. And then Sarah started a food business in 2011. And then when our daughter was going to be born, um, she hired me. So we're all in on a non regular nine to five situation, which is why I always love to ask about how you structure time and things. I just talked to Scotty Landis, a um, screenwriter, and he was talking about how he just is very good at setting these limits and things like that, which I am not good at, and you know also will work all the time if necessary, and and not really think about what it's doing to your body over time. So it's like there's I think something so important about just having honest conversations about like this is what I do and this is how it. It works because a lot of people that have a nine to five, they don't have that. It's, you know, Friday, five o'clock. They're like, I have two days off. We don't know when we'll have days <laughs> off or when we'll
2: work a lot. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. I think really it becomes about mental health mm-hmm. because you can really, Get caught up in what you're working on at the moment. Like, let's say you're working on the business side of things, where you're working on your website or finding a way to get your business in front of an audience or customer base. Yep. And you (laughs) you can kind of get so hung up on that where you neglect the other side of things, and that becomes unhealthy in a mindfulness way. And I'm really guilty of that. Where I'll you know, I'll be working on my website and I'll be working on, you know, all the tracking codes that I need to have on it or, uh, or finding how to appear organically or using Google ads to appear in front of clients and so on and so forth. And meanwhile, my show is suffering because I'm not (laughs) working on that next piece. And so you really have to kind of, you know, assign time for Particular days, and and then even if it's not finished, just move on to the next thing because you can you, you can go crazy. Mm-hmm. And for somebody like me, I'm very very like I get caught up in the details. And my biggest vice is that perfection. I need to, I try to perfect things when I just need to let it go.
1: Yeah, that's. I perfect. feel it. Yeah. yeah.
0: One thing that I love to talk about is community. And so I'm curious, not knowing your profession, obviously you're a solo performer, you call strangers up on stage and interact with them in front of public. But is there a community for magicians? I know comedians where they're like, people think all comedians know each other, but it's very clicky. It's just who you know in a certain circle. So when you go to the Magic Castle, is there like a community there or do you find it out somewhere?
2: There is a community at the Magic Castle. I think, and this could be extrapolated to life in general, <laughs> if I'm going to put my sort of philosopher hat on, that I don't know, when I was younger, and this has been actually a thing that I've seen written on popular news sites where people are having less and less friends. Oh, yeah. and People are being more and more and more isolated, whether it's because of technology, whatever it is. This is actually a big problem with males in the sense that they just get so introverted. And like for myself, I only have two or three very close friends and that's pretty much it. But I think as far as, and and the reason I mention this is because magic is that way, but I don't think it's just, I don't think it's unique to magic, Mm. especially if you specialize in something that is highly niche, like in this case, sleight of hand, what I do. You have an ego about it. Your ego can kind of get in the way. You become less open. Uh, Oh. It's yeah. So in a way, like if you go to a magician conference or a convention, we're sort of like gunslingers, where it's like, oh, let me show you this. No, let me one up you on this. And it's like, and I hate that because for me, magic is very much an art, and I'm not immune to this. I'm not saying that, but for me, magic is an art form that if we have that empathy and if we can have the, the ability to be open about it, we can learn from each other. But I know my own limitations. So, you know, I have a certain shyness about me too, when I'm off stage. I mean, that's one of the reasons I am a magician because I can open up on stage and bring people into my world. People are probably shocked to
0: think that you don't just walk around grinning ear to ear and doing all these (laughs) cocky things. (laughs) Like,
2: look at me. I'm Arthur Trace. No, that's a
0: stage performance. You know, that's what you come up with for the performance.
2: Yeah, well, that's kind of like an exaggeration of who I am. But it's a a truth, very much a truthful one. But yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, there, there are very cliquish groups in the magic community. Got it for good reason and also for, you know, just as are cliquish groups all throughout society, sure. you know? So I don't think it's just unique to magic. Yeah, I just was
0: curious for my favorite thing to find on YouTube, which is tricky because there's so many magic videos that are just how things are done. And I don't want to know. I <laughs> want to live in the world with magic. Yeah. Thank you I very just much. I to
1: watch it and enjoy it. Yeah,
0: and my favorite thing to see is when a magician, and that's why I see a lot of wand stuff, A magician will go up to him, and he'll do a card trick, and they won't know what's coming. They'll think they're looking for a face card, and he stripped the deck all red and black before their eyes, and they didn't even know he was doing it. I showed Sarah one of those last Mm -hmm. night, and I could watch that forever because I know what I look like when I'm fooled. But when somebody knows movements and magic, and you can fool them,
2: what a treat. Like, I love that. Juan is certainly of another level. I saw Juan's full show at the Magic Castle years uh, ago when he was performing there, when he brought it there. And his ability just to take the audience on this one path and then totally yeah. sideline them and with this brilliant revelation at the end, is just amazing. I mean, he's definitely of a very, very high level. Uh, there's, yeah. there's not many people like Juan Tamarez in the world. And any sort of art form or trade. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 completely. So, the next thing that happens is the movie ends. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> She's back.
1: She's back. They take everybody. a bow.
0: And, and that's the end of the film. So, any final thoughts? Had you heard of this before? Had you seen it?
2: Yeah, yeah. I've seen The Vanishing Lady before. Well, it's, it's based off of Batia de Colta's Vanishing and Reappearing Woman, which she hmm. uses a chair. And it's an actual technique. I think even Britney Spears did it one time in her concert, <laughs> where he, she used the de Colta chair. It's a really stunning illusion. You know, for back in the day in 1896, when this movie was made, it was a novelty to do it without the mechanics of actually doing the chair. Yeah. But what I find so fascinating in this day and age, it's so much more fascinating seeing it live and actually (laughs) done. Because we are now used to special effects or substitution splicing Mm -hmm. in films. And so to see it on film is one thing. I think it's very interesting in the sense that this is such an old film, and you, you're really seeing uh, the beginnings of the film industry yes. in this film. That's mm-hmm. more interesting to me than anything else. But I found it fascinating how we tried to mimic the performance of the Decolta chair on film, not using the Decolta chair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of... It's, <laughs> I, I, I once had this conversation with Teller from Penn & Teller where he talked about the cups and balls, and he found it fascinating of, of actually doing a move that looked like a move but that didn't accomplish anything and so i found uh, that sort of
0: similar to this you know that is interesting perfect well that brings us to the final questions these are questions just about yourself okay question number one no they're not numbered but um (laughs) what is a good day like for you as a magician
2: a good day for me as a magician um well like I had a great day on Saturday. I was I was performing for the Society of American Magicians Parent Assembly 1. At the Abrams Art Center in in New York, there was various magicians on the bill. I was the headliner. I closed the show, and at the end, I got a standing ovation. Oh, right! It's always, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> it's always nice when you when people really appreciate what you do. Yeah, that's like, oh wow, it's worth it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, hold on to those moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to hold on to those moments really closely. Another good day is when maybe I book a big contract. I'm like, oh, I get to eat next month, or yeah, you know,
0: or for a whole month in Hawaii. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Exactly. And. I think the best days though i have is like when i come up with something new which in this time in my career it's f- fewer and f- further between because oftentimes'm my attention is so divided on booking contracts or working on the business side of things. So a lot of my time is devoted to that stuff where I don't have enough time to devote to the creative side of things. Yeah. But when I complete a routine that I that's taken me how many of our years or months to work on, that's a huge accomplishment and feeling and it's really an investment in the show because that that's like a seed that you planted that has grown and now it's going to become a part hopefully of the show for years to come so those are usually the best moments
0: can i ask is the piece that you are finalizing right now a closer
2: it's not a closer but the and i and i don't want to specifically say what sure. the effect is yeah because a lot of my routines are based on classics of magic i've then just yes created this unique presentation and then this one is very much a new uh, not a new effect, but there's no other routine like it. I there's no it. other magic trick like it out there. That's exciting. So, yeah, that's, re- that's really exciting. When I come up with a presentation, I do it either one of two ways. I'll either have a magic routine in mind, an effect in mind that I love and I want to do, and I so then I kind of find a reason why I'm presenting it a certain way. Mm-hmm. Or I'll find an idea that I want to express, and then I have to find the effect that complements it. And... Usually, uh, I go about that one of two ways. I'll may, It's either a themed idea, so like when the lights go out with the record and the light bulb, that's yeah. more of like a theme. The opening line to that piece is magic is a lot, you know, I don't know if you know this, Dirk, but magic is a lot like romance. First, you have to have the appropriate lighting I <laughs> <Yes. and laughs> click on the lamp. And second, you have to set the mood yeah. and I bring out the record and the music comes on and so on and so forth. So that's more like a thematic presentation. Another way I create ideas that I then combine with magic is make it more causal. So like I do this one piece called the invisible bees. That's with a jar, right? Yeah, that's a jar. A jar, yes. So I introduce the concept of an invisible bee and then I go and prove that invisible bees exist through the magic. Terrifying. So the premise there is, you know, invisible bees exist. So the premise provides the reason why the magic happens because that piece of paper then becomes animated which is the effect. And then the magic provides the proof that the premise is true. Oh, if, if the paper isn't moving, that means that invisible bees do exist. Now, I obviously, I don't think my audience think, thinks invisible bees exist, <laughs> she- but it's a presentational ploy that kind of brings the audience into my world. So that makes yeah. sense. I think.
0: I constantly tried to convince my parents that invisible bees existed because I had D's <laughs> on all my report cards. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all weekend. <laughs> Good. Uh, uh, I'm not gonna ask you what a bad day's like, because I think we've covered that. But yeah. I just wanna know advice. If you have advice for someone that was interested in magic.
2: Yeah, um, so there's a lot of resources out there. When I was growing up, YouTube wasn't really around, no, so it but, wasn't. Yeah. Books
0: Books are good. But yeah,
2: books are good. And if you just want to start on YouTube, that's good, too, because, I mean, obviously, vet your sources. Don't let some kid that has a really sloppy technique kind of teach you how (laughs) magic is supposed to work via YouTube, because anybody can obviously post videos these days yeah but books are a great resource i mean find a local magic shop they've got plenty of books they have plenty of videos that you know you can buy and research and learn whatever sort of genre of magic you're interested in you know eugene berger said the house of magic has many different rooms meaning that and and then there's a place for all of us so whether you're into close-up magic with cards coins whether you're into the stage manipulation, whether you're into more of stand-up magic or comedy magic, there's a lot of different rooms that you can play in. So just find what you're into and then start off slowly, but just follow your heart, you know, just because if you have a bad show or if you have somebody says that, you know, you can't do this one particular way, you know, keep at it. I mean, it's, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, but also that's what really makes it satisfying is when you can do something that is difficult that's what makes it worth it because you, you know, the time and energy you've invested in something. And so you have a certain appreciation for that. And then when it become, when everything comes together, you take a lot of pride and passion in something like that.
0: Perfect. And that brings us to the last question. And it's my favorite question. Arthur, what are your dreams like?
2: Uh, running. (laughs) Running. (laughs) I've been having a lot of dreams the last few years where I'm just running from unidentified people. I don't know what the hell that's That is really interesting. It is interesting. And I've been contemplating turning it into like some sort of show. In a way, magic is running from your audience. Mm -hmm. You're running from the solutions that they have in mind of how tricks work. Mm -hmm. So you have to go down all these different paths and kind of disprove it. Juan Tamaras does that very well. He writes about it as well in his books for magicians. But yeah, running. I mean, we all have fears in life and a lot of those fears we run from. The first thing we have to figure out is what we're running from. And that's something I need to identify.
0: (laughs) Just how you worded that sounded and felt exactly like one of your bits like the way that you said we all have things that we're running from i'm like oh he's gonna do a trick (laughs) (laughs) well arthur thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story where can people find you anything you want to plug that's coming up
2: I guess the only thing—I mean—you can follow me on social media. I'm at Arthur Trace, Trace like tracing paper. Uh, you can take a look at my website. I update that regularly. There's uh, in the news sections, you know, usually uh, shows where I'm publicly performing. A lot of my work is for corporate clients. Yeah, but I do have public shows from time to time. I think the next one that I'll be appearing at is Marvin's Magic Theater, which is in La Quinta in your Palm Springs. And there's a great little uh, venue there for magic. It's a nice intimate venue where you can see some world-class magic. And I'll be doing a 60-minute show down there May 4th through 6th. Fantastic. So that's my next public show, yeah.
0: All right, great. Sarah, you're Spicy Marshall on Twitter and Instagram.
1: I am. Yep,
0: website's com. I'm Dirk Marshall. That's uh, Dirk Zaster on Instagram, V-H-U-S underscore podcast on, uh, on the Twitters. Till next time, this has been V-H-U-S.
1: Bye!